Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? We good? Y'all are tired, apparently. Y'all ready to sit down. I see you. You're like, man, we, we were getting our worship on. We had the sway going. The glutes were starting to feel it a little bit. I see you. We got to get down quick. Well, it's good to see everybody. Welcome to church here today. If you've never been to Pearl Street Church, welcome. This is obviously way different than the norm. Um, usually it's a little more electrifying just because there's people, more people in the room. But the beauty is, is we serve uh, God and has sent his power through the shed blood of Jesus Christ down here on this earth. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. So though it may be less people, less energy, all oh, the spirits got all the energy necessary. So we just keep on tapping into that. We're going to be all right. So good deal. Well, we've been in a kind of a collection of talks over the past couple of weeks, and it's been some good conversation. We talked about a worldview, uh, having a good Christian worldview, especially in a world that is uh, primarily secular in its philosophies, and, and it's infiltrated the church. And a lot of Christians don't even realize it because they come to Jesus after they've gone through an upbringing, and they get into their adulthood, and they're like, wait a minute, what well, the Bible says, What? And uh, they've been just indoctrinated with secular philosophies their entire life that they don't even realize it is biblical and they think it's political, you know. And so we're just bringing some clarity to all this stuff so we don't live ignorant. We can live informed of the truth of God's words. So we can face all that the world has for us and uh, not back down to the lie of the enemy. Because the moment you feel like you're, you're something, an ism, based on the world's ideas, you will back down to the truth of his word and not stand firmly with inside of it. But he's called us to live bold because we're the light of the world, right? We got the truth of his word on the inside of us. We don't cover that puppy up. Now we let our good work shine before all men. They may see them and glorify, not us, our heavenly father, amen? So that's the world in which we've been living in. And we've been, we started off a conversation last week on uh, maybe in the realm of like apologetics. Now apologetics um, is... Uh, oftentimes viewed as this defensive deal like we got to give a defense for our faith and like it's more like karate kick which i don't know if y'all saw that M mma fight the other night that karate, that kick did y'all anybody see that kick that's a side note if you didn't see that that was unbelievable i've never seen something like, me and him right here we're like on the same deal we're like whoa but i'll tell you go look at that kick and then put that in reference of what we are called to do for the enemy right uh that'll give you some perspective uh, I would try to mimic what it was, but it was unbelievable. Like, it was like, he had his foot, the guy was grabbing his foot, and he jumped around and smacked him in the head with his other foot. And the guy was like this. It looked like it was a video game. It was awesome. But back to what I was talking about. You should go look at it. It was epic. And then just think about in that, in that context, if you get that picture, like, that's what we're doing to the devil every time we stand upon the truth and we shine the light into a broken world. The enemy's like, oh, my plans and strategies are foiled, uh, right? And he's running. So it's beautiful whenever we can stand upon that truth and keep on knocking the devil upside of his head, right? Just bop, 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 bop. So we can look at it from that realm. And a lot of people, maybe when you, you get a little too religious, you look at it like, I'm just waiting. <laughs> You're like, you get a little too, little too sword happy, right? You know, ah, you know, and you cut a lot of people in the process. You hurt people more than you help them. Um, so we can look at it as a defensive deal rather than a reason for our faith. Apologetics about giving a reason for our faith that we have. And so this is what it says in 2 Peter. 2 Peter, and we read it, or 1 Peter, sorry, uh, chapter number 3. Uh, I'm just going to read verse 15. I read uh, verses around it last week, but it says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. So somebody asks, you know, give a reason for your faith. What hope do you have and why do you have that hope? Colossians 3 would say, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So it's living, and obviously we got to live in a broken world, but if we have a belief system, we're attuned to what is being spoken around us and the questions that people have and as believers, we can give a direct answer to them, living wisely, that is seasoned with salt, that will encourage them, that will strengthen them and for each situation that we are in. So given a reason for the hope that we have in Christ, First Peter and Colossians, living wisely amongst unbelievers to give the right response at the right time for what they need. That is apologetics. That is us living out our faith. Now, uh, has anybody ever been here? You write this across the top of your paper. What's the word? That's the title today. If you want, you want title for the notes that you're going to put. What's the word? 
We say that all the time. What's the word? Have you ever been in a place where you got to be careful on you asking somebody that question? Because if you ask them, it may cost you two hours of your life, right? <laughs> Anybody got Uncle John that's got a story for everything? We had Uncle Ezel. Uncle Ezel, if you ask him what's going on, he's got a story for everything. Uncle Ezel was a Texas Ranger in his mind, but he is not in the Texas Ranger <laughs> Museum in Waco, Texas. He is not there. Every Texas Ranger is listed there. Uncle Ezel is not, but he told us he was. <laughs> Uncle Ezel just be there whittling on, on, the, on his trailer porch. He's just there whittling some wood, and he'd make little figurines and stuff, and he'd be just talking. You got to be careful what you ask. So, a couple weeks ago, Heather and I went to Utah. You may know this. We went to Utah, relaxed, and had a good time. And uh, we were at a, a timeshare that my parents have, and we're hanging out at the Sunrise Lodge, the Hilton Sunrise Lodge. And um, so, apparently, a lot of people that have timeshares are older than I. <laughs> and so, we're coming to the end of our, I'll just put it that way. We're coming to the end of our stay, and uh, uh, Heather, we've like hiked eight miles a day, and we're just trying to relax, and I haven't got to go check out the hot tub. So, I'm like, cool, I'm gonna go check out the hot tub. And she was like, I ain't gonna do the hot tub. I just want to kick it and chill. I was like, cool, you chill. I'm gonna go check out the hot tub. So went outside, checked out the hot tub. You know, I'm feeling good about myself because everybody else is older than I. I'm like, yeah, what's up, what's up? Uh, so I sit down in the hot tub and uh, some individuals come join me in the hot tub. Um, so I was like, how are you guys doing? Well, this one individual uh, decided to tell me his whole life story. So I was like, what's up? And rather than just like, oh, man, things are good. Just here on vacation. Join our time here. How about you? It was, oh, man, uh, we're from Sacramento, man. I, I came from poor part of Alabama, man. You know, we grew up in a HUD home. And, man, he went HUD home. And he's uh, there on vacation. Came from nothing. Went to Vietnam, you know. Went off to Vietnam. Did electronic stuff in Vietnam and got out. And worked in the electronics engineering world and designed and did all this cool stuff. And worked for IBM. And then he was over at this one place. He was like in Chicago and it was cold. And they moved over to Sacramento. And he's living in Sacramento. And then his wife has some type of weird disease thing that you can't touch her skin now. So he, he has a girlfriend now on his walk. You know, they were walking in opposite directions for like five years and then he just said one day he turned around and he started following her and now that's like his his girlfriend his walking girlfriend but they haven't seen each other since COVID started you know <laughs> I'm over here like wow oh really that's crazy okay <laughs> gotta be careful who you talk who you ask questions to right and you occupy a large portion of your time uh, what's the word can lead to anywhere right I'm the kind of person like what's the word means just give me something short okay now, if I need a pastor and we're here, to, you know, we need to make it happen, then cool, let's get in some details. But outside of that, is life good, family's good, kids are good, let's go. That's typical, right? What's the word? Now, we live in a society today, what's the word? Short answers. But what I hope we are as believers, we can come to a place if somebody says, what's the word? We can start moving it to, oh, let me tell you about the word actually i'm good but i'm good because the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and this thing right here has empowered me it gives me information and knowledge and truth of god on how i should live how i can live righteously how to live a blessed life and because i know this i'm able to make the right decisions that honor honors him with my life and lead my family and be a good citizen and everything else but it all starts right here in the word you really want to know what the word is let me just tell you brother I hope as a society and as a, as a people, we can come back to come to a place to say, you know what? Somebody says, what's the word? We can say, what's the word? Let, let's give you an understanding of what the word is. You know, we live in a world today that is coming after the word, because if you can disqualify the word, then you can remove the people that believe in its doctrine from the power of it. And today I want to just kind of go through the history of the word. I want to jump into, you know, maybe the dynamics, the validity of the word, because the, the, the questions out there is like, you believe that stuff? How reliable is that stuff? Did God really speak that stuff? These are a lot of the questions we have out there. And we got to be able to give that reason to say, no, yeah, we do believe this. Yeah. And why do we believe it? Right? It's literature. It's history. It's written down over a long period. Why do we believe it? We got to be able to stand firm in that and not back down because it's very, it's very easy to not know something and feel like now you need to make excuses for it. You need to make excuses for nothing. We got to stand firm upon it. Now, this is the truth of God's word. So where we start at is John 1. John 1 is a, is a clear place to say, okay, 
we, we agree on this, that in John 1, as he spoke it, and I'm going to read 1 and 2, and I'm going to skip down to verse number 14, but it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What are you talking about? The Word was in the beginning. He became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and dwelt and lived among us, right? And we start from that premise that we know the Word was with God, the Word was God. It started there, and that Word became flesh, and Jesus lived out the Word here on this earth. And you get down to the end of it, and we see this through the life of Christ, where it's full of grace and truth, Right? We talk about our model here as Pearl Street Church is the woman that was caught in adultery. We are a grace church. Amen. Right? You're jacked up. I'm jacked up. Praise God for the grace of God. Right? Praise him for that. Praise God. But we also are a truth church because Jesus looked at that woman and said, go and sin no more. Yeah. What do we live in a culture today? We're all caught up in feelings. I just, it doesn't feel right to tell somebody there's only one way to Jesus. Really? Brian's going to get into that next week. I'm not going to jump on that now. But it's caught up in feelings. We have a whole secular world that has indoctrinated our children to believe your feelings drive your actions as opposed to your beliefs drive your actions. Because things don't feel good, but God's word says we must live something different than our feelings. If not, we live in a chaotic world. There's no expected outcomes. If I hate you in one minute, can I take your life? Why, why can't I take your life? I, I don't like you. I want to remove you from this earth. You're causing me pain and problems. I feel like I should take your life. But what keeps us in alignment? Well, it's the law. Where did that law come from? It came from the truth of God's word. Yeah. Thou shall not kill. Right? <laughs> I like my stuff. I don't want you to have my stuff. I worked hard for that stuff. Thou shall not steal. Right? <laughs> These are things that God has instituted for humanity that keeps predictable outcomes in place. But we live in an emotional society, right? Whatever you feel, you should be able to do. There's no limitations on you. You know, authority structures, man. Oh, yeah, they just, they're trying to suppress you and you're not, they don't want you to live your best life. If you feel it, do it. It's an emotional society in which we live in. Truth drives outcome. The truth of God's word is in his kingdom. We live in that kingdom and there's a certain level of expectation. So with that, we come to a place on what is truth then, and the truth of God's word is revealed, or the truth of God is revealed in his word. He was in the beginning, and his word became flesh and was revealed, right, through Jesus Christ. So uh, you look at the Bible. I'm just going to do a short overview of the Bible, the history of the Bible, where it's come from, how do we get here today, okay? And so go with me. It may get a little dense, but you're not dense, okay? The content may be dense, but you're not dense, so go with me. Okay, so number one, uh, you can write this. The, the Bible is the book of all books. I mean, it is the book of all books. 66 total books brought together in one uh, total accumulation, which we know is the Bible. It's seven, 773,692 words. There's a total of 48 authors written over 1,800 years. There's 2 billion copies of the Bible that have been put into circulation. 100 million Bibles are sold every single year. It is the book of all books, the most popular book to ever hit the earth. God breathed, God inspired, poured down through man. Now, it starts off in when... Not that. It was not by a fall. No. But it starts off when 14 to 1500 BC, when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments where God wrote it in his own power on some tablets. Wrote the Ten Commandments on there. Moses comes down and says, this is what God has given us. They're stoked out of their mind. This keeps bounds. This keeps order. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not have gotten any gods before me. Thou shalt not cover, cover another man's stuff. All of this stuff was written, 10 commandments, 14 to 1500 years uh, BC, okay, written. So from there, you get the writings of the prophets and you get the writings of kings and you get the writings of, you know, King David and, and King Solomon and uh, all the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets. All of this is written. And when they write these things, they're writing these things on what would be called scrolls. These scrolls could be 150 feet long. So they're writing them on animal skin, 150 feet long. Animal skin, so leather, right? Deer, whatever else they can get their hands on that they would consume, and then they would use the, the leather for. So they're writing all these things out. So by 500 BC, from that thousand years from 
Moses to 500 BC before Christ, you find that the 39 total books that are in the Old Testament have already been written and recorded on Hebrew scrolls. Scrolls. The scroll would be so long that they would have to use an entire herd of sheep in order to record all of this. Okay, so you get there. Now you get the first century AD. Now let's step into, so the 39 books are written. Now let's step into the New Testament. The New Testament starts off in Mark, which has a personal account of the life of Jesus, hearing from his cousin Peter's telling him, hey, this is what I saw. These are the things that happened. Mark is like the scribe writing this stuff down. Okay, cool, 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 cool. It's a personal account of the life of Jesus, him being living here. Then you get Matthew, uh, Mark, or you get Matthew, Luke, and John that write their eyewitness accounts after the fact. So you get to the end of uh, 100 AD after the death, that first century, and all of the New Testament is already written by then. The writings of Paul, uh, all of the gospels are written, the end of AD, uh, the first century, everything is written. So you jump down and you look at 367 AD, there's a bishop in Alexandria that wrote an Easter letter and inside of that he accumulates all of the, the books, the 27 books of the New Testament in his writings. And then there was a conference inside of uh, Synod of Hippo. Officially, they approved the New Testament, all 27 books of the Bible. Now here's the deal. They started translating the Bible from there, getting into as many languages as possible. When they were originally written, they're written in Hebrew, uh, they're written in uh, Aramaic, they're written in Greek, okay? Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Aramaic and Greek. Some, of, some Aramaic, mostly Greek. This is the writings, okay? So only a certain set group of people can understand the writings. God wants everybody to hear the truth of his word. So they're starting to translate into 500 different languages up until 500 uh, AD. What happens is it's a Roman kingdom. And when this happens, the Roman kingdom says, we want to suppress this truth. We cannot allow this truth to go out to multiple different people. So the Roman empire made it illegal to have any type of translation of the Bible other than Latin. And the only people that were trained in Latin were the priest. So they suppressed the truth of God's word. And we stepped into a time called the Dark Ages. Between 500 and 1500 AD is a time when the world is categorized as the Dark Ages because the suppression of the truth of God's word was suppressed. All these uh, translations were burned. Uh, if you were caught with a translation of the Bible and it was not Latin, they would, burn, they would kill you on the spot. I mean, we stepped into a time of deep suppression of the truth. Now, this is what happened. It's a power grab. If we only hold the truth, then we can tell you what the truth is and what you should live. So we stepped into the Dark Ages. This is where the Roman Catholic Church was very corrupt. They did some very corrupt things. The Roman Catholic Church did some very corrupt things. Here's one thing that they introduced in this time, something called purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. There is no such thing as purgatory. It's you get a choice here on this earth to choose Jesus Christ. And the moment you, your life is up, you know, we don't know how long that process is. I mean, it says in one day in heaven is a thousand here on earth. So all I know is we've been here for a couple thousand years, depending on your belief, okay? But my belief is we've been here for a couple thousand years, maybe six or 7,000 years. So it's about seven days up in heaven, okay? So if you die, I believe it's like we're gonna be dead. But hey, Jesus, we're here. <laughs> Hello, that's my belief, right? It's gonna be very simple. Um, so within that dynamic, purgatory was... And created at that moment in time. Now, what the Roman Catholic Church said is, okay, if your loved one was not secure in Jesus, then they entered into purgatory. And in order to get them out, you got to pay us some money. Right? It'd be like today, like, oh, we're unsure about your friend that, oh, he's probably in purgatory. Give us nine grand and he'll, he'll go to heaven. It was corrupt. They would do corrupt things like that. Money was a big deal. You look at the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic churches throughout Europe, you look at them, they are extravagant. How'd they pay for it? People. Manipulation of people to get certain outcomes financially for them to do the things that they wanted to do. Now, can God use that? Yes, God, whatever, you know, God uses that. But it was a dark time in our history because it was the suppression of truth. What's going on in our country right now? A suppression of what's going on on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram right now. Suppression of truth, Right? Now, it doesn't matter what political sides you are on. Doesn't matter, right? 
It doesn't matter what political side you were on. What matters is, is the moment that an entity decides to suppress truth, we're on very shifty ground. It's the same thing Nazi, the Nazis did back in the day. They burned up all the knowledge and the truth to remove every communist country grabs knowledge and truth and burns the truth because they want, they want people to live in ignorance because a willingly ignorant person will do whatever the powers want them to do. They won't fight back because they don't know, right? There's like, okay, this is truth. So anytime in history you see a suppression of truth, we should be very concerned. It happened in, uh, it happened in 500 AD that led us into the dark ages. But here's the beauty is there's people of light that literally an individual said, you know what, we're not going to allow the suppression of truth to happen. And in 500 AD, he said, the Roman Catholic Church may be doing this, but we're going to have a secret underground society. And the church in China today is underground, just FYI. If you think China is, I probably shouldn't say this too loud, but China literally has concentration camps there. The Church of Jesus Christ in China is underground. You can be imprisoned for believing in Jesus Christ. It is an anti-God, atheist culture, entire society. Was it 3 billion or 1. It's 1.7 billion people that live in China? It's crazy. And if you think we, we're too far away from that, you are out your mind. If we live in America, you got to understand, if there is a suppression of truth, you got to be very careful. Got to be very careful with this. So it led us to a place where there was a suppression of truth, but there was people that said, you know what? We're not going to allow this truth to die just because these, power people, these people in power are suppressing it. So this individual discipled over 800 years. There was an underground discipleship process in the truth until John Wycliffe rose up out of that group of people and said, we're going to start shining the light on the corruption that's going on in our world today, the religious corruption. And they started to expose this truth. John Wycliffe, he had a disciple named John Huss that he raised up to speak the truth also. And these individuals standing for truth, teaching truth. As you can imagine, power structures did not like that. They chased down Whitecliffe and they killed him. They literally killed him. The Pope was so angry with this individual. 40 years after his death, he said, Bear, uh, pull up his grave. I want to see his bones. We're going to burn his bones. We're going to spread them over here. They tracked down John Huss, his disciple, tracked that boy down. They burned him. You know how they burned John Huss? They took some of those ashes or some of the bones from Wycliffe, put them around the base of the stake that John Huss was on, grabbed all these Bible translations that he created, put them at the, the stake where John Huss was, lit those things on fire, and killed John Huss's disciple. Because of the truth of, his, of the word of God that was being disseminated. Power structures were trying to suppress these truths. John Huss would say this, within a, a year... God is going to, at, at his, when they were burning him, he said this, uh, within a year, there is a man that's going to rise up that his truth will not be able to be suppressed. And within this time period of a year, um, Martin Luther rose up out of uh, the generation, and Martin Luther was an individual that brought the truth, these 95 theses directly against the Roman Catholic Church, the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, and he posted it upon the door of a Catholic Church in Germany, saying, you guys are corrupt. The truth of God's word is different than the way in which you are teaching it, and that's the moment in time, the shot that went across the bow of the world at that moment in time religiously, which we know is the Reformation. The Reformation was against the Catholic Church, and that's where you find the Catholic Church was the main Christian institution, and from there, multiple different spinoffs came out of that. We're non-denominational, but we are born out of an Assembly of God church that has flowed out of the Reformation. Reformation is we've moved from the Roman Catholic ideas into uh, um, an alignment with the truth of God's Word, where the doctrines are directly out of it. It's not man-made ideas. It's directly out of the truth of God's Word in which we find. So this journey has been at play where a generation rose up out of that. Martin Luther posted his 99 Thesis. He got in alignment with William Tyndall, which William Tyndall, if you know the um, printing press, William Tyndall was an individual. What is the first thing they started to mass produce with the, the, um, the printing press? was the Bible. They were, they were disseminating the truth of his word to as many people as possible. And as you can imagine, guess what happened to William Tyndall? After 11 years, they caught up to him and they burned that boy too. All this to say, this thing right here that we have access to, it finally, after William Tyndall's death, he said, hey, I want, I hope the king's heart changes and basically gets behind this. And within three years, that's what happens. The king gets behind it. The king starts to support the dissemination of this truth. And here today, I stand. This is the importance I want to bring to you. This 
Bible that we have access to should not be taken lightly. This has been fought for. People's blood has been shed for your access to this, right? Jesus' blood was shed for your salvation. Disciples were literally martyrs for the belief of this. But the truth, the preservation of this truth that you would receive and understand the power of God, people have fought for this stuff. And today we're just flippantly like, ah, I may read my Bible, I may not read my Bible. I don't know, I'll see. If you didn't have access to this, you would have a completely different understanding. There'd be a completely different passion for it. If you knew by just this right here, you come back to a place on like what Jesus Christ was like, man, my food comes. Man, I, man I, I find my nourishment through the words of God. Man, I, I'm empowered by the words of God. Just as Jesus said, I don't live on bread alone, but I live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When there's that level of desperation, like I got to get this stuff in me. I may not understand it all, but I know every word has come from God and it is food for my soul. There's a different level of tenacity that comes with it. We should never take this lightly. Right? We should never take this lightly. Everybody, I got to go check my Instagram. <laughs> because it does what? Sends off some endorphins temporarily, but this stuff is in an eternal. Man, you got to get your face in this, right? I'll go back to, I always joke, but my dad was the big joker on, get your face out of the Facebook, get your face into the book, right? My dad would do that all the time. <laughs> got to love those old school, right? They throwing down. So it is the book of all books. It has an incredible history to get it to where it is today for us to understand this truth. It is enlightenment, right? This enlightenment period. We are enlightened by the word of God. It is the truth on the inside of us. We do not hide this light that is on the inside. We want to share this light with as many people as possible. So the second part of this is, okay, what is the reliability around it? So the second thing, if you want to write this down, the Bible passes the smell test and all the other tests. The smell test is you pull the book out or you pull the milk out of the fridge. It's still good. The date, right? The date's not necessarily right. So the Bible passes the smell test, the practical basic test, but it also passes every other test that is out there. And it just so happens that an individual came up with a test to kind of look at literature. And in 1952, an individual named Steve Sanders came up with a test that has three different phases to it. The three phases was one, the internal test. The second one was the external test. And the other one was the bibliographic test. These three tests were put towards this literature of the Bible. Okay? So it passes the smell test and every other test is what I believe. Let me run through these very quickly, okay? So this is when you look at literature, and I know you feel like you're going back to school. I don't want you to feel like you're going back to school. Some of you guys are having, like, you know, PTSD right now. I get it. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm back in uh, history. Uh. Just go with me for a second, okay? So the internal test is this. The internal test is, uh, do the writers of the Bible, do they claim that their writings are true? Do they claim that they have an authority on what they are writing, that this is not hearsay, this is eyewitness, this is firsthand account? That's the, that's the internal test. Is the writers, the internal test, are they speaking from their own account. Now, we can read in Acts chapter 4 when they go before the Sanhedrin, this story that is written inside of here. Luke is writing the story in Acts. These individuals are only saying, and this is where it's good for us to be, to be in a place on, we are just sharing what we've seen and what we have heard. That is it. We're not here to be like, oh, I think. We're here just to say, I believe based on what I've seen and what I've heard, all this stuff that has happened, right? This experience that we've had. Second, Peter, Peter, we know Peter being a disciple of Jesus, him and his brother Andrew were called off the Sea of Galilee. He would write this in 2 Peter 1.16. He said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we, are, we were eyewitnesses of his mighty, uh, eyewitnesses of his, his majesty. Sorry, I said his mighty, uh, of his majesty. What is Peter saying? No, we had firsthand account. We're not talking about clever, clever like folklore stories that we heard like 10 generations down. We have literally seen eyewitness to this man, Jesus, and his majesty. We, we saw these things, right? At the latter part of one of the Gospels, the writer would write, if we wrote everything that Jesus did here on this earth, there wouldn't be enough books here on this earth to encapture them all. So we're just giving you a snapshot of what Jesus did here on this earth. 
Okay, so it passes the internal test. These individuals are writing firsthand experience. The second thing is the external test. What does the outside evidence say about the Bible? What does this outside evidence that's out there say about the Bible? In other words, what do non-biblical sources say about the Bible? Do they confirm biblical stories or do they say, well, those parts, uh, those aren't really true? First of all, this is what we would, want to, we would want to look at. We all, or we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the historicity of Jesus Christ is incredibly well established. You can't get away from the history, the histor this historical evidence around Jesus Christ. You can't get away from that. Individuals in the Roman, like Roman writers wrote about it. Greek writers wrote about it. Jewish sources wrote about it. They wrote and affirmed the life of Jesus, that there really was this man that came, claimed this, lived here on this earth. You can't get around it, okay? Uh, Josephus was a first century historian that would write about the first century believers. He wrote about John the Baptist. He wrote about uh, James, the brother of Jesus. He wrote about all these individuals that lived in the, so in the first century. He's looking back hearing accounts. He's a historian and he's looking back. And one of the key things that he says in there is there really were a group of people that believed a man lived, a man died, and a man rose from the dead. Like he would, a historian, and this multiple historians around this time in the first centuries would look back outside, uh, outside writers looking at the life and the, the body of Christ at that moment in time that affirmed that there really were individuals that lived at that moment in time that believed that and uh, that Jesus, there was a really a man that lived and died, was raised to life. So the external test, it passes the external test. Now here's the cool thing too. There's questions that have come out through history on archaeology, right? Now, archaeology, there's been a big advancement in the 20th century on dis archaeological discoveries. Over a long period of time, there's questions that come out of it like, well, is archaeology going to discredit the truth, like the truth inside of the Gospels? Here's the beautiful thing. Archaeology is only, greater, um, uh, only greatly affirmed the truth that is in God's Word. As we discover more in this generation, it's only affirming the truths that are written thousands of years ago. That is a good place to be, right? Secular, uh, secularists want archaeologists to discredit the Bible. The cool thing is, is they can. Some of the greatest archaeologists and one of the greatest known archaeologists, uh, Jewish archaeologists, writes that rather than archaeology discrediting the Bible, it's only affirmed the truths that are within and that is great ground to stand on, especially as a believer here to be like, you know what? We're standing on some firm ground, very firm ground that's only being revealed more and more throughout history. Now, here's the biblio, uh, bibliographic test. So you got the internal, you got the external. There's external writers, the internal writers. They're writing firsthand accounts, individuals, external. They're writing of the truth that is inside of there. Now, here's the bibliographic test. Now, this is kind of the flashback to high school. I get it. But the bibliographic test, um, it wants us to find how well were the original documents translated to today. How well would the original manuscripts translate to today? For example, there's only one original manuscript. manuscript. The people, then people made copies of them. Sometimes they'd make tons of copies. Sometimes they wouldn't make very many copies at all. But here's the cool thing about how Jews reference or looked at the scripture. It was a holy scripture. There could be no blemish in it like God. They treated it the same way they treated God. So you have these original manuscripts that obviously were deteriorating. How they would do it is they would transcribe them to a T. They knew the middle letter that would be on every single line on every single page. They had it all laid out. And if they were just a little bit off, they would discard it. And the, the manuscript that they, they were using, they would bury that manuscript in like to preserve, not to preserve it, but to honor that scripture on like, we, we're going to bury it and put it back in the earth in which God has created. And they would take the new manuscript and use off of that. So that is the, the translation that would go all throughout history that brought us to the Old Testament book, the New Testament books. They, they had this, the, or uh, the Old Testament books. So that brought us all the way to here. The New Testament was written on a different type of paper that was smashed roots of uh, paper, papyrus paper. And this is what preserved these things. There was so much um, 
there was so much care taken around these manuscripts that in 1947, this is a cool thing, uh, these scrolls were found. They're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. In 1947, a shepherd found them in a cave out in the middle of, uh, of Israel, and they've been preserved because the climate was just right. Uh, it was dry. It didn't, they didn't get ruined. They were inside of these bottles. But the cool thing is on these Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were discovered, the translation that has been you know, brought forward in time they took the Dead Sea Scrolls from that time, like in history, and brought them and paralleled them to the modern day transcripts. And the only thing that was different is minor word spellings or translations in like a word or a letter that was inside of the word. Outside of that, the truth that was inside of that word was exactly dead on as it's been translated over history. That is legit. If you're an individual that wants to stand upon like this is truth, we got Dead Sea Scrolls that back up the translation that has crossed through thousands of years. It's a good place for us as believers. So this is the deal. The Old Testament and the New Testament passed the bibli uh, bibliographic internal and external tests like no other ancient books. Most professional archaeologists and historians acknowledge that the historicity of the Bible and yet many theologians still embrace pre-archaeological critical theories about the Bible. The evidence strongly supports the accuracy of the Bible in relation to history and culture. But in many cases, it, uh, it has been overlooked or rejected because of philosophical presupposition uh, that runs contrary to this, the scriptures. This leads to a uh, double standard. So this is the deal. There's secular individuals that don't believe what we believe. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. They hold these positions, and because they hold these preconceived ideas about the Bible, they put this a massive amount of critical critique on the scripture that they don't put to their own literature, their own documents. So when you jump into it, it says this leads to a double standard. Critics approach secular literature with one standard, but wrongly use a different standard when they examine the Bible. Those who discard the Bible histor uh, is historically untrustworthy must realize that the same standard would uh, force them to eliminate almost all ancient literature. These individuals, these archaeologists or whatever, these secular people out there, if they took the same critical view that they have of the biblical text and put it against their literature, they would have to erase a majority of it throughout history. It's a double standard in which they use because of this. And this is where, I, this is where I'm going to end. Number three, the Bible is alive and it is powerful. I end here because we live in a culture today of secularist that push against religious, religious dogma. So what will they do? They're going to ask a thousand questions to discredit the Bible. The Bible, the truth of God's word. Because the truth of God's word is the power for humanity. We live in the power of the truth of God's word. What we know God has done for us, we walk in that truth. You know, the statement around our world today is knowledge is power. That is true. The more knowledge you have, you have the power now to make decisions for yourself. If you don't have knowledge, then you will just do whatever somebody says because you believe that they have the knowledge. Knowledge is power. And so these, these individuals will try to talk about the reliability of Scripture and how can you believe that stuff, but all of it is an attempt to remove us from the power. In any type of competition, what is the first thing you want to do? You want to remove somebody from their power, their strength. You want to remove them from that strength, right? Uh, in tennis, you're going to like hit them towards the back. You're like, I got to hit it on whatever their weakest stroke is, right? We got to hit them in the weakest stroke. Uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, they had to, the Pistons had to shut down Michael Jordan or else they knew they were going to lose, right? Because he was their strength. Um, years ago with the Spurs, you know, you had to shut down Tim Duncan, okay? <laughs> we're not that, in that glory land anymore. But here we are today. It's all power. Anybody Star Wars fans? Anybody just like maybe... Uh, my favorite movie is Gladiator. I'm all a Gladiator fan, right? What is the deal in all of these movies? If you remove the person from their weapon, you have disarmed them to defend themselves. And it's that <gasps> moment in the movie, right? It's like, the lifesaver's over there. And he's here. Is he going to come together? Is he dead? Right? Same thing in the Colosseum. Well, you're not entertained. Russell Crowe, I love that moment in time. You're not entertained. I love it. It just gives me a picture of who we are as Christians in this day and age. 
where we're living against the chaos inside of the world, but we got to live something. And everybody else is like, ah, they, you know, they're going to lose. And it's for our entertainment. Look at these Christians. They really believe this. And I'm like, ah, I'm that person, right? I'm like, let's go, right? I'm like, yeah, let's go. But if they can remove us from our power source, the truth of God's word, then what are we standing upon? Are we standing upon our ideas or are we standing upon God's ideas? Are we standing upon our truths or are we standing upon the truth? If they can remove us from this right here, they've disarmed us. We have no power anymore. The enemy is seeking who he may devour. He's coming after us and he wants you to believe that this is all a bunch of folklore. But what we can sit here today, and I get, maybe you're in here today, you're like, dude, I did not know I was going down the history lesson when I was going to church today, okay? I ain't even about all of that. I ain't even about it. If you're not about all of that, all good. You're not about all that, great. But what you can do today is that somebody says, oh, you believe in that Bible? How true is that? You'd be like, actually, it is the most accurate uh, historical document on the face of the earth. It's been reproduced. The New Testament's been reproduced 24,000 times. You're looking at Plato's writings, which has been reproduced six times, and you're sitting in this history class quoting all this stuff as absolute truth, but it's only been quoted six times. It only has ex external evidence six times over, but my New Testament got 24,000, so take that. What you want? Right? Our scripture's been written over 1,500 years, translated over all this time. And when we found these scrolls in 1947 called the Dead Sea Scrolls, go look them up. It's a great thing. Go look them up. When they brought it to compare the, the accuracy, there was like minute, like minute changes to words and letters. That's about it. It's accurate. And rather than sitting back like, ah, I guess it's true. It might be true. No, we got some boldness to say, no, yeah, it's true. It's 100% true, a fact. You know what John 1 says? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh through Jesus Christ, and in that there is grace and there is truth. Guess what? They're going to be over here like, uh, um, uh, 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 you're like, yeah, it's true. Sorry, it's true. And I believe it. I believe it's absolutely 100% true. So that means you're a hateful person? No, I'm a loving person. I love all people, man. But Jesus Christ has transformed my life and he can change me, he can change you. You want to know this man, Jesus? Come on, right here, right now, we can make it happen. I'll baptize you in the toilet. Come on, let's make it happen right now. Let's go, right? What do they want us doing as Christians? They want us doing this, backing up. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't answer all the mysteries of the world. Neither can they. They can't either. But all they're using is taxes of, tactics of the enemy in order to bring deceit and deception and, and bring condemnation. That's all they're doing. They're falling in alignment with the father of lies. That's it. And the father of darkness is the enemy. So I don't care if somebody is, they're, they're an atheist or they're a whatever. Their Lord is the enemy. Their Lord is the devil. They're in alignment with a not the truth. That's for sure. They're living in darkness. I'm not saying they're evil people. But their ploy, the plant, what they're trying to do is to remove the truth of God's word so the world will live in darkness rather than live in the light of the truth of God's word. So for us, we don't back down. We get it going. We make it happen. We do what Ephesians 6 says. This is what we do. We do what Ephesians 6 says. It says in one final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Come on. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of who? The devil. Put it all on. Put every piece on yourself. Mount yourself up because the enemy comes looking for people who he can devour. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will, be, you will still be standing firm. Stand, stand your ground, verse number 14. Put it on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Come on, the belt of truth. Put on this truth. The righteousness. Come on, put on the armor of God, uh, the, the body armor of God, which is his righteousness. Live in righteousness. Live righteously. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be 
fully prepared. You're just cool. You know where your future home is. You're cool. You're not worried about the issues of this life. You got the, the shoes of peace on. Right? You can live by faith and not by sight. Yeah, there's chaos in the world, but you know your eternal home is heaven. So you got peace. That's why Jesus is like, why worry about the things that are happening here on this earth? Why worry about this stuff? This stuff fades away. This stuff fades away. Worry about the future, right? Seek first the kingdom, live righteously, and God will add unto you. Don't worry. But there's so many people in our society today living stress and depression and worry, anxiety, because of what? Issues of this world. He says that controls the minds of unbelievers. Those things control the minds of unbelievers. So put the peace, the shoes on. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Ah! Pray in the spirit. Come on, get your prayer life on. Praying in the spirit. Come on, can you speak in tongues? Are you in here today? If you're a young person, you're like, oh my God, that's so weird. Speaking in tongues, like, that's super weird. You probably don't say it like that, but I like saying it like that. But do you have your prayer language that's given to you by heaven, from heaven? That it's this prayer language that God has given you that the enemy does not understand. That it's your heavenly language that you're praying in the Spirit. Do you have it? Come on, pray in the Spirit. Some of you guys are like, oh, I need to go look at 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and 16. I need to start looking at that. Yeah, you do. You got to jump in. Start looking at your prayer language. Start looking at, man, how can I be more effective in my prayer? I feel like I'm praying, but man, I just don't feel like I'm landing anything. Look at your life first. Maybe you're living in unrighteousness. You're willingly making choices against the righteousness of God and disobedience, and you're facing the wages of your sin, and you're trying to blame it on God when you're not taking responsibility for your choices. Cool. We're all sinners. Don't get me wrong. But then second, be like, man, am I really praying effectively? So pray in the Spirit. It says, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me. And Paul begins to say this, that he stays effective. On the tail tail end of this, he says, you know, pray for me that I stay effective in communicating the gospel to Gentiles and I'm effective in this. I'm in chains right now for what he believed. He's in chains because of what he believed. He's saying, pray that I stay effective. That I don't back down to the fear. I don't back down to anything. That I stay effective in what I'm called to do. And I'll tell you today, my prayer for us as a body of people in this generation, God knew we would be here at this moment in time in a world that is operating the way it is operating. He knew we would be here. And that we would have the opportunity to stand up for what we believe. Not back down, but stand up. And that even if we're in chains, man, if we're persecuted, whatever it may be, we have the confidence in the truth of his word that he's going to work it out for us. Yeah, we may have to walk through some challenges or some struggles or some pain, but that's a part of the process. We don't set our false expectations on like, we gave our lives to Jesus and it's peachy now. It's all roses and everything works out. Now I got a million dollars in my bank account. I have no worry anymore. It's probably the opposite of that. It's, man, I am working my salvation out with fear and trembling. But one thing I am not doing is I'm backing down to the enemy, the the strategies of the enemy. I'm standing firm upon his word. I'm mounting up in the full armor of God. I got everything on necessary. I got the sword of truth, and I'm ready to dice. I'm ready to speak truth and love. I'm ready to give an account for the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. And I get to be a light to a broken world. Amen? We don't back down. We stand up. We stand up for the truth of his word. So we're going to jump into over the next couple weeks is we're going to jump in. This week I wanted to talk about the book. They're going to go after the book. The second thing we're going to talk about is going to be the man or the creator, God. What are the questions around that? There's questions out there. We'll give you. The deal is, is we're, we're giving you a reason for our faith. Right? They'll give you a reason. Secularists will give you a reason for their beliefs. We're giving a reason for our beliefs. That's it. 
And we'll end with the people because, man, we are jacked up and they want to they tear us down. Like, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Be like, you're a hypocrite too. It's life. We're broken people serving a perfect God. But we're going to jump into this over the next couple weeks. So let me just pray today. And I just want us to come together as a people and stand firm in what we believe, knowing that the truth of God's word is valid, it is reliable. We can stand firm upon it. We can get into it and realize, man, this is the power for our soul. It's nourishment for us, God. It, it gives us so much strength as we move forward. We desperately need it. And with this today, I hope there's a greater just tenacity about the, God's word. I'm like, no, I won't let somebody discredit it. I won't let somebody talk bad. No, no, no. I won't let somebody just step in and try to undermine it in my life. I'm going to say connected to the power. I got my sword. I'm good. So let's pray. God, we come to you today, Father, as a people. Knowing we live in a crazy world. Father, has all kinds of their truths. But Lord, we're not looking for the world's truth. We just want to know your truth. And God, I pray as a people here today, we are standing firm upon your truth. We are building our lives on your truth, God. And as we build this foundation and, and we build our lives upon your truth, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, we will not fall victim to the chaos of the world. When the winds and the storms come, we will stand firm, God. So, Father, I just pray for a young generation that's got shifty ground. Shifty ground underneath them, God. They're, Father, they're living in a world where they feel like it's all grace and feelings, God. I pray in Jesus' name that you begin to solidify their foundation in your truth, God. The Father, the most loving thing is to speak your truth in love. Father, to solidify their foundation and what they stand upon, that they are not on shifty ground, but they are on solid ground of your truth, God. And Father, may a generation rise up standing firm upon your truth. And may we be a generation, God, at such a time as this, the American church right now, not backing down to the secular world, but rising up in your truth to stand firm against the enemy's plans. Stand firm in your truth. That, Father, we can push back on every lie of the enemy, God, and we can continue to stay about the work of reaching unchurched people, reaching lost people, reaching hurting people. And Father, turning the lights on for a broken world. Father, it is in your name we pray. And everybody says, Amen. And Amen. Amen. It was so good to have you tuned in right here today for this message. I pray that you are encouraged and you are strengthened inside of your faith. Man, you are confident here today in, in accomplishing what God has laid out for you to do as a believer, whatever sphere of influence that you are in. I pray that you are ready to get it done. Now, our kids experience is coming up next. Make sure you jump online, get your kids around. They'll be encouraged to get ready for their week. Outside of that, keep on making a difference in the world in which God has destined you to lead in. Have a great week.